0: Is there any other words of advice you have for current residents Uh, and in particular, you know, women, females in residency? Yeah, you know,
1: I think there's so much that we have uh, we have learned, but also so much that we so far we still have to go. Um, I think the burden in this pandemic, we have seen that there is these dramatic inequities across the board. It has affected women more than men. Um, In many, many different ways and in medicine the same, it's much more challenging to be um, a person in medicine and a woman in medicine and to uh, have a family to the the expectations of you caring for others. um, And that we've known. uh, um, I think it's been exposed in ways that we have not seen in, in before, or at least. Perhaps it has uh, I I talk about um, Rachel Carson who who wrote a book called Silent Spring and she says most of us walk unseeing through the world unaware of the the beauty and the tragic intensity of the lives being lived around us. Well, we we can't unsee what we've seen. So we've seen you know that we don't value people who uh, are carried in long-term care homes. We don't value. Um, the people who work in food processing plants, and you know, overwhelmingly they're racialized women, uh, low income. So we need to find ways to, to um, now that we have seen that, to change how we approach and support people. And I think the same goes for uh, for people in uh, for all of us who are going through residency. Um, you know it's changed, and it's hard. And we need to recognize that in each other. And, you know, going back to those bonds that we have, um, you know, you do need to lift each other up. You do need to remember to be patient with each other and to support each other. Um, I think sometimes we get we can get drawn into the, the competitive nature of mm-hmm. all of us <laughs> striving, <laughs> and um, a, and if anything, things like the unexpected events that happen that disrupt our lives, like this pandemic, remind us how important it is to have that connection with each other mm-hmm. um, and to to value and foster that. Um, so, and to 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 do rely on each other and take that time for yourself to, um, and it's easy to say and, and I'm not very good at it but um, you know that 10 minutes that I do with my mindfulness mm-hmm. not every day yeah but it's okay be patient with yourself too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
0: you for that. I, I like to talk I about, about um, how first year you're just trying to kind of figure everything out second year you're it's exactly where I'm at right now I'm in my second year so uh, I really uh... Uh,
1: I sort of say when I was in family practice you know the first year of practice you want everybody to love you and you take all this time and energy and you you do everything you can and then they never do what you say and it never turns out the way you want in your second year you hate them all <laughs> <laughs> and then you realize there's a balance and and you have to uh, not give your whole self you give give what you need to give to each individual and Mm -hmm. and take what you need to take from each individual and know that you 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 can't solve the problems of the world you can't take it all Mm -hmm. and it's it's you know we all go into medicine i hope because we we do want to change the world we want to save the world we want to save lives we want to to be able to make that difference for people and and i think just we need to accept that We will, if we if we go with a good heart all the time, we will. Um, But it's not always going to be apparent every day.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's a very good thing to remember. Next question. What was your biggest challenge during the pandemic?
1: What is my biggest challenge? I think, you know, I think really, when I look back on it, uh, as I look back on it, the biggest challenges really are about communicating. Um, How do you communicate these complex issues in a changing environment again and again and again without losing people all the time? And and part of it, you know, is should we have a different spokesperson? Should we bring different people Oh, you know, people ask me if I second guess myself. I'm like, yeah, like every moment of every day. (laughs) But but how do you, um, how do you communicate uncertainty in a way that um, gives people confidence that that it's okay? Um, I've learned that Change creates anxiety, as I mentioned, and nuance creates anxiety. <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, you just, it, I know it's nuance, but if I just explain it, everybody will understand. It's like, mm, no. Sometimes you need to be really black and white about things that really are shades of gray. And that's the hardest thing. It's really the hardest thing. In medicine, you know, we always say, never say never, never say always. But if you, say like even little things like the National Advisory Committee on Immunization says you may offer vaccine to five to 11 year olds. Well, how does the world interpret that? Oh, well, they don't need it, it's not safe, it's not good for them, We don't. I'm not gonna get my child. It's like, no, no, five to 11 year olds need to be immunized, period. It's good for them, it prevents them from getting sick. We want, we don't want our kids to get sick. Vaccinate your children. So you know, just, Uh, the communication in all its forms has been the biggest challenge and the biggest reward, you know, sometimes when you, when you do, when people do go, aha, it's like, oh,
0: (laughs) I did something right. Kind of going along with that, if there's anything, what would you change about Canada's approach to the pandemic?
1: just can i I go back to you one of the other things that i find really really challenging is that everybody in our profession thinks they're an expert in public health during a pandemic Um, and that's the other second thing that's really really hard is that you have infectious disease physicians you have emergency room docs who write letters um, saying that uh, they know more about epidemiology and public health than I do. You have these so called public health experts who are putting out information that says, oh, you know, this is wrong because I believe this. And it, that part is really hard. So um, I would encourage, you know, we don't tell, I don't tell heart surgeons how to do a <laughs> cabbage, but um, anyway, it, it that's one of the other challenging things. Is and I've also, you know, I think learned to to, to take the high road and and mm-hmm. not to criticize people. And if I can have one uh, plea to you all is, yeah, you know, we all uh, are in um, situations sometimes where uh, we get faced with uh, competing uh, viewpoints on things, and always take the high road. Don't criticize your colleagues or others in public just talk about how you see it and where you think it is in and in a positive way um, in terms of Canada you know we have some underlying challenges that have uh, part of being a confederation and uh, in a democracy that we are and part of it is that uh, it, we don't have one health system um, we have at least 13, and if you think of federal populations, more. Um, so they, we, we are coordinated at one level, in that you know, my colleagues in the Chief Medical Officers of Health, we meet with each other regularly. And we, uh, but then when that uh, intersects with each of our individual political systems, um, it can look like we're doing things differently across the country.
0: Mm -hmm. And we
1: are in some ways, um, and some of it is because we have different populations and different uh, trajectories, but uh, I think it would have, uh, right now, the the biggest gaps we have are, um, you know, the federal government comes out with pronouncements (laughs) about things that they don't actually have any control over, (laughs) and uh, I think the whole, uh, somehow, the vaccine program when it started in Canada became a negative story and I just I don't understand how that happened where in the media it was never enough never the right stuff everything was wrong about our vaccination program and I kept saying no 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 we have really good vaccines do you not understand that came within a year of a new virus circulating and and part of that was, you know, the federal government saying, oh, the provinces aren't uh, getting it out fast enough. And, and, you know, there's just stupid things that uh, that we could have done a lot better if we had spoken with one voice and, and been a bit more tolerant. I think globally, one of the things that uh, I regret is, you know, the geopolitical reality that we live in, that uh, there was... And a large part of it, of course, was um, the leadership in the United States at the time that we weren't able to support China to actually stop this before it started to spread so widely. Yeah. But, you know, uh, there's nothing we can do about that now. Um, but we are living with the, the global failure. And the second global failure has been vaccine inequity and not being able to get enough. Uh, you know, Delta really was because we didn't have enough. Uh, vaccine to areas that that really needed it, and of course now Omicron is exactly the same. Um, Thankfully, Omicron is relatively milder, and I think if we did not have the highly vaccinated population that we have right now, we would have, and if this had been, I mean if Omicron had been what emerged out of China in 2020, uh, it would have been devastation around the world no matter what. Yeah. So, you know, we're, I, I kind of say, I was asked this before by a person in the media uh, a couple of weeks ago, well you know, did you expect it when, because I've been involved in planning for pandemics mostly based on influenza pandemics for 25 years, um, you know, was there anything unexpected? In that? And it was kind of like, no, it was every scenario, but I didn't expect we would have every scenario, one after the other after the other. So, I kind of thought, you know, I really, really thought when we had vaccine rates and everything was good last summer that, you know, we were finally in a good place. And then, of course, because we didn't have that same level of protection around the globe, we had another variant emerge. So,
0: yeah. that just highlights the importance, as you said, of vaccine equity, which is, uh, I'm sure the world is working on. <laughs> Um, how would you compare this experience with working during the SARS and Ebola crises?
1: Yeah, really different.
0: So, you know, uh,
1: Ebola in, in a low, uh, and middle income country, uh, in the area that we were was, uh, in, Gulu in, in northern Uganda, it's, uh, there was also a civil war going on with the Lord's Resistance Army in South Sudan. Um, So it was a complex emergency in ways that were uh, thankfully way beyond what we're seeing now in terms of there was war and um, they they actually blew up one of the pubs I was in one evening. (laughs) You know, just there's a whole other dimension to it that was uh, really, really challenging. And, uh, you know, being a white person in that community, there was a lot of distrust um, and distrust about what we were there for and uh, so a lot of I I learned a tremendous amount there over and above um, dealing with a a really uh, challenging disease. Um, SARS in Toronto was was um, just as traumatic and really really different because it was our community um, and it was you know my colleagues uh, the hospital that, that i worked in the people who were getting sick first the nurses and the doctors were people i knew um and you know we i had to call them up and say okay we think you have this new thing and at the time you know we didn't know what, what it was and <laughs> pain. um uh, we we don't have a you know we didn't have a Test for it. We didn't know what the outcome was. Uh, the people that we knew that had it so far, um, you know, sixty percent of them had died. Um, I want you to go to this. We had set up a, a ward on the uh, in the old TB hospital because it had uh, um, infection prevention and control, um, and it it, it it was. I want you to go there. You know, don't hug your kids or your family. We're going to look after you and. No, there's no test, no vaccine, no treatment, but we'll do our best. And, and you know, everybody who ended up going to that ward, Don Lowe, God love him, uh, was one of the physicians who worked there with us. And, and everybody survived. One of the nurses who volunteered to work there caught uh, SARS herself and died. Um, but, you know, those. To do that with the people that you know in your own community was really challenging. Um, the other challenging part of it was it was really the first time that uh, I think most people in in healthcare, you know, it was still in that time frame where people thought that we had solved all the problems of infectious disease and it was chronic disease that was the problem and um, you know infection prevention and control was it was of whittled away and uh, so most um, nurses and physicians we never felt that we were at risk working Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so it was this concept that yeah you could get infected with the disease that you could bring home to your family that and you had to uh, when i went around we went around to the different wards in the initial hospital and, and said you know you need to wear masks you need to wear gloves you need to do Uh, eye protection for every encounter you can't sit with people in the lunchroom you have to sit apart Uh, and, and there was just like I can't possibly care for patients with a mask on you know what are you talking about we we you know how am I supposed to communicate and so it was there was a whole denial and disbelief that we had to overcome that was really challenging and you know we got through that and we tried to make a whole lot of changes uh, particularly around infection prevention and control the role of public health and there was a lot of attention paid to that in for the next few years and then it kind of just fell off again and you know trying to get people to uh, replenish our ppe stores uh, you know we were caught flat-footed at this pandemic again You know and I've been working on the uh, the Canadian pandemic influenza planning document uh, <laughs> for a long time and uh, tried to make the case to government that we needed to uh, renew our pandemic uh, antiviral stockpile and nobody wanted to spell, spend the uh, two million dollars that it would cost to renew that stockpile. Well, it's renewed now um, because it, there's going to be another influenza pandemic at some point, and we'll need to to use those medications that we have. So I I think we go through these periods of realization of the importance of things like prevention and public health and infection prevention and control and all of these things and, and ramping up our lab capacity. And then we get complacent again because we don't have things happen. And the tyranny of the urgent, you know, there are people who need their surgeries. There's people who need their hips and knees and their cataracts and their Heart surgery and all of those other things, and, and I think what we've learned with this pandemic more than more than with SARS because it, it has had such a devastating effect in long term care is that we've neglected our seniors and elders, and we have um, we need to really rethink our our long term care system. So, I'm sort of a long winded answer, but uh, you, know, you know I think we. We go through these phases of, of neglect um, and it's at our peril when these things come up.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This may be hard to answer, but uh, when do you foresee us managing COVID-19 as an endemic virus?
1: I'm sure you've gotten this a lot. <laughs> April, April 10th. <laughs> I'm just laughing because uh, I've been saying for for now three years, we just need to make it to Easter. (laughs) We'll be in a better place. And and it's true, as we have learned, there's a seasonality to this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Omicron is pushing us uh, in a huge way. I think we would have got there um, after we've been managing the delta wave and and with immunization being more and more available around the world. Omicron in the way it has spread so, so rapidly, um, and thankfully uh, not led to severe illness in as many people. Um, so if we can hold on a, with our healthcare system for another few weeks, we, we should get through this and we will have a level of immunity in our, in our community anyway. That will mean that I think we're gonna have a pretty quiet summer. What I don't yet know, is, you know, are, are we going to have enough immunity that's going to get us through the next respiratory season, which is next fall? Um, you know What's going to happen next in terms of and somebody in the media saying, well, no, no, I want to know what the next variant is going to be. Is it going to be more severe or less severe? It's like, yes. <laughs> you know? um, we, we can't predict that. And, but we can predict that there will be um, more mutations. And what I hope will happen is what we've seen with other um, coronaviruses. We have four coronaviruses that circulate and cause mostly mild or cold-like illnesses. So, and one of them, OC 49, if we look back on it, probably caused a a pandemic in the late 1800s that was initially thought to be influenza, but may, like, you know, could have been uh, COVID, or not COVID, a coronavirus. Um, that arose in cows, actually. <laughs> <Cattle>. <laughs> it's strange one. Um, so, you know, that's, that would be the optimist in me, saying that, you know, by next respiratory season, hopefully we'll still have that uh, higher level of immunity in our population, and uh, we'll have, you know, another uh, respiratory virus that's going to affect our, 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 our babies and our oldies, you know, people who are immune-compromised, but that most of us will be able to just uh, get through it um, with taking those things that we hopefully now have learned that if you're feeling sick, you stay away from others, You wear masks, if you need to wash your hands. You know The basic things that get us through influenza season. Mm-hmm.
0: All that being said, how do you think this pandemic will change the future of public health?
1: yeah you know i've said this uh, how many times have i said this in my life uh, yeah look <laughs> you know we need this safety net um we're, we're one deep in public health and when crises crisis happens uh, you know i think this is in our public health care system too you know redundancy is seen as waste and bad um and you know, if you were a bank and you didn't have a redundant IT system, you would be—it would be malpractice. But in in medicine and in, in our healthcare system and in public health, if you have uh, if you have that surge capacity or redundancy, it's it's you know it gets chopped off because we spend so much money on our healthcare system and our public health system. Mm-hmm. So uh, I hope that it will show that there is a, a level of public a public health workforce that does things that actually make a difference for us in, in terms of preventing, uh, you know, preventing things from, bad things from happening. And if we do our job really well and we get people vaccinated and we you know, have these control measures in place that prevent widespread outbreaks of different things, uh, then it's better for society. It's good for all of us. It means that we can go to work and we can keep our health care system working and we keep people out of hospital. So um, I'm hopeful that, it, it, that that will sink in at least for the rest of my uh, career. <laughs> and, and then it'll languish again at some point when people think that there's no longer uh, a risk. But, um, but the other thing I think is really important, I mentioned about long-term care. We really have to think about long-term care. And we have to think about our health care system because in a sense right now, we're um, part of our challenge with a relatively um, less severe strain that's circulating, but circulating at such a high rate, so Mm -hmm. many people that even if only half of 1% of people end up being hospitalized, that's a large number of people Mm -hmm. and our health care system has been whittled away so much. We don't have the, the nurses, the physicians, the respiratory therapists, the, um, the uh, paramedics. Uh, you know, we, we can add beds, but we can't add people. And this whole um, concern that, well, you had two years to, to ramp up the healthcare system, it's like, well, no, you know, there's no pool of, of nurses globally. And this isn't just a BC or a Canada problem. There's no pool of people out there just ready to, to, to start working in our healthcare system. It takes time to, to build that up, and we have, um, we've, you know, because of the costs and everything else, and, and we're paying for that now. We have fewer ICU beds in, in BC than, uh, than in countries like France or Germany, and so part of our pandemic response has been to prevent morbidity and mortality so severe illness and um, sickness and death and to um, preserve our health care system so that people with covid can get the care they need but also everybody else can get the care they need and we have seen that dramatically across our country um, but here in bc too in the north in particular during the delta wave where the the there was not the health care system available to support people and we had to medevac you know 152 people out of the north to critical care beds all of them on you know vented patients to critical care beds across the province Mm -hmm. Um, and that tremendous strain on our health care system meant that if you were in salmon arm you couldn't deliver babies at the hospital there because it was full of covid patients so you, know, you had to go to Prince George, and that affects the healthcare of the population and affects the health of the population. So we need to, to manage our healthcare system so that we're not in that position with a relatively small number of people who are, are sick. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. um, well, that's all of the uh, questions that we have planned. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, for speaking with us today. Is there anything else you wanna leave us with uh, before we end the interview today? You
1: know, just, uh, I want to leave you with hope and optimism because it's been a long slog. And if you're, you're, you're in year two of your residency, so your entire residency has been during a pandemic. And don't underestimate how much strength and knowledge and resilience that will give you for your future. Um, You know, years ago, when I ran my first marathon, you know, I put this, you know, I'm a marathon. Nobody will ever take that away from you. You have been through a lot and every specialty has been impacted. You've all been called on to do things more than you could have ever imagined. And we have come through this and we're still, you know, we still have our fingers in the dike, but we're coming through this. And so I just want to say, you know, that there is better days ahead and we have a new sense of purpose and strength that we've, we've shown how adaptable and resilient we are. It's been hard on us physically, emotionally, mentally, um, but we can... We can use the fact that we've come through this and, and build those bonds and remember those bonds as we're going through the hard times in the future, too. So, it, it, we will get through this pandemic. Um, and it's going to be, uh, you know, ho- hopefully sooner rather than later, we're going to be in a much better place. Um, and we just have to remember that strength that we have that got us through this.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I think that's something. Um, we all need to hear not just residents and that it will be okay and we will get through this together so That's i just cool. want to
1: so much. <laughs> have stories to tell your kids about
0: <laughs> oh i remember the great pandemic <laughs> yeah it'll be something to look back on
1: <laughs> hopefully it'll be something to look back on sooner rather than last yes. yeah <laughs>
0: So. Well, thank you so much. I don't want to take up uh, much more of your time. I know you're very busy. So, um, we really appreciate you uh, joining us today.
1: Well, and thank you. And thank you for all you guys are doing out there. You're a critical part of our healthcare system. And I look forward to working with you all virtually as well over the, the coming years. So, thanks so much and take care. Okay.